Welcome to The Evidence-Based Therapist, a podcast where we read so you don't have to. Here you'll find three therapists discussing cutting-edge research articles, explaining why and how people work together to find healing. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Evidence-Based Therapist, where we read so you don't have to. Today, we are beginning a two-part um, series on one article because it's uh, long, but also very deep. Dense. Super dense. Yeah. Important as very, well. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we have actually talked for now like two and a half hours before we started recording about how we were going to do this mm-hmm. um, because it's so important. And so we're, we just decided to break it into and go through it that way. But the title of the article is Dependency in the Treatment of Complex Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder and dissociative disorders. Mm-hmm. We're going to get into the definitions of, of, those, All of things. those things. All of those things. Uh-huh. Um, but ultimately, we decided to break this in two because from the authors, which is Steele, Vanderhart, and Nijen Hughes, we decided that they had so much to say and did so much definitional work that we need to kind of mm-hmm. There's just kind of a, a natural break yeah. in the paper about halfway through, and so we're going to cover that first section this time and then yes. go into the next section about structural dissociation the next time yeah. so we can give both the attention they deserve an hour and a half that's right <laughs> that's right but before we get into that really fun conversation we want to remind you guys that uh, one way that you can be involved with us and get in touch with us and be a part of our community is through patreon and you can go to the website patreon.com slash beyond healing center yep And on there, we have several different tiers of membership, and each tier of membership has uh, resources that you get access to, everything from extra recordings, uh, a whole other secret podcast called Mind of a Therapist, where where the three of us are even more unfiltered than we are on here, if you can believe that, (laughs) Um, and talk about whatever we want to talk about. And whatever we're thinking about um, as therapists, not just it's a very you know, liberating experience. It really is. You yeah. know, we're not just like chatting about what we had for dinner. This is no, like no, no. you know the deep recesses of our minds. This was <laughs> we're, we're curious about what goes playing. on there. Yes, we're, we're definitely playing. Yes. With it's concepts. all play, and it's the recorded two and a half hours of what we did before this. Basically, basically. Yeah. yes, yes, that yeah. is true. Um, and so that's just one of the resources that's available on Patreon. We also have uh, lots of recordings of actual live sessions, demonstrations. Uh, resources of things that you can use with your clients, uh, audio recordings, and lots of other really fun stuff. Mm. Um, so go to patreon.com slash beyond healing center, pick the tier that's going to work for you and your budget and be a part of our community. Yes. And I just have to say, um, Patreon is such an incredible uh, platform yeah. just for us on the receiving side of the support because it allows us to do so many really amazing yeah, things. Yeah, and we have a page, Patreon goal coming up yes, that do. we're super excited about. So uh, when we hit a certain dollar amount, which is 1500 a month yeah. in Patreon support, we're going to buy really fancy uh, fancy video recording equipment. Yes. And we've got two major goals with this, one more serious than the other. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, the serious one, <laughs> we're going to do uh, video recordings of actual live sessions. We have a few different clients that have, have agreed. Already. Yes, have already agreed to be videoed, including somebody that is coming to do a retreat with us and have their equine therapy and That's their EMDR horses, therapy y'all. yeah, recorded and provided to you guys to see the way that we work um, with the 
EMDR, with horses, with these adjunctive therapies, and yeah. how to do a really holistic treatment with somebody from start to finish. But we need video recording equipment, which we don't have yet. <laughs> yes. So, so that's our goal. When, when know, we get to it's hard to record, uh, just audio record a horse. You know, it doesn't come through. It loses. You hear like disparate hoof beats and like the like some winning, the, soft, the like yeah. uh, nose thing mm-hmm. they do. It's yeah, the, like the chuffing. And I've offered to go in and do that on right. the back end that's and true. just yeah, make my own true. sounds. But you guys <laughs> it's not quite denied the same. that. Well, <laughs> the ten hours that you gave was really interesting, uh, but it was just your commentary, which I thought was weird. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> the horse is now trotting. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Anyway, and then you imper- you just personified the horse, which is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the more serious one, and then. The less serious one is we have strangely had more than one request for some B-roll blooper footage yes. of uh, us doing our thing because uh, we have a lot of fun. Superhuman. Yeah. <laughs> very, very, very human. human. Um, and so video equipment would allow us to have some fun and kind of share ourselves with you guys that way um, as well. But the most important thing is that we want to provide really excellent video uh content for you guys to see therapy in action because all of us as therapists for some reason really like to watch other therapists work yes (laughs) it's like getting to be a fly on the wall uh, because so rarely do we get to really experience that with each other so yeah join us on patreon support that goal so that we can provide that to you guys and to um, our whole community Um, and we want to thank you guys that are already patreon members thank you so much you let us do all kinds of cool things like have this really fancy audio equipment if you've noticed that our um, sound quality has improved that's thanks to you guys that support us on patreon that's right Mm -hmm. so this is an interesting article just even in how we chose it because it wasn't one that one of us brought to Mm -hmm. the group it was something that we kind of uh we're all familiar with the authors we heard the title and we said let's get into that one so we kind of mutually chose it so i'm going to take a stab at giving an overview of what our time tonight is going to be about Mm -hmm. or on this podcast sorry Mm -hmm. you're not in the night maybe you are and that's fine as a listener but we're here right now. Temporal transformation of podcasts. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent job. Excellent job. So Thank I'm going to give a stab. <laughs> I'm going to give a stab at um, kind of overviewing it. But then, Caleb, I'd like for you to take the lead maybe on giving mm-hmm. a little bit more of our first first rung down the ladder yeah. Yeah. or the, the step down the spiral staircase. Mm-hmm. Um, so this article um, was written by... Um, a group that is primarily influenced by psychoanalytic thought yes. and object relations theory. And that is, uh, those are two things that you'll hear a lot about on the podcast because we love and take a lot from both of those schools of mm-hmm. thought. But it is also heavily influenced by neurobiology, which is very interesting, especially mm-hmm. this this article came out just after the, the decade of the brain kind of had taken its full form. Which is the 90s. Right. So this, this article was published in 2001. Mm-hmm. And so it's resting on the newly, I mean, the ink is barely dry mm-hmm. of the decade of the brain um, and all of the discoveries that we were able to make both through human uh, research and other mammalian uh, neuro research, which is Jakob Hunksepp and other many wonderful uh, researchers. But anyway, so it's kind of blending the two together mm-hmm. of uh psychoanalytic thought, object relations theory, and neurobiology. Mm -hmm. So you're getting attachment and you're getting um, a large uh, kind of understanding of psychoanalytic thought when it talks about dependency, what Mm -hmm. that actually means. So we're going to get into uh, kind of some of those definitions. But then as we progress through those definitions, we're going to try to stay really, really practical and get into some of the implications for what does it mean to foster, and this is going to sound 
uh, a, a little dangerous, but mm-hmm. to foster active dependency between yourself as the therapist and the clients you work with, um, with healthy boundaries yeah. and what importance is there in that? And why is it actually vital to the therapeutic process for healing from trauma? Especially with severe chronic traumatization and especially if there's a dissociative presentation. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that we want to mention is that this article that we're, you know, kind of, um, talking about tonight they took the material that they put together in this article and actually wrote an entire book. Expanded on it massively. <laughs> yeah, because there's a lot to expand on here. So uh, we want to give a plug to that book so that if you guys are interested in what you hear, that you can actually go get the whole book yourself. It's called The Haunted Self, which, great title, Amazing by the way. title, and especially from psychoanalytic and yeah. object relations theory. Oh, man. That so haunted rich. word yeah. is just Perfect. insane. Yeah. There's, there's layers there. Um, so yeah, it's called The Haunted Self. You can get it on Amazon, super available. Um, the Haunted Self, Structural Dissociation and the Treatment of Chronic Traumatization with the same three authors, Vanderhart, Nijin Hughes, which I really hope we're pronouncing that name correctly, and Kathy Steele. The three of them came together and wrote this book after they wrote this article. Um, and so you can go get the deep dive on everything that we're going to be covering tonight in that book. All right, so Caleb, yeah. would you like to give us our first step down the yeah, spiral so the, staircase? The first step is actually where you noted some potential discomfort. Mm. Oh, and, here we go. And um, a shift in the psychoanalytic thought away from Freud's original sort of posturing of the therapist in the therapeutic. Yeah, so you're room. talking about early 19th century, yes. like late. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So at Freud's main sort of posture as a therapist is yeah. one of interpretive. Um, interpretation giving as the therapist so you're hearing what the client is saying and freely associating and then you're providing interpretations Mm -hmm. and those are sort of the key at which the client then has this moment of insight and says Mm -hmm. oh well then i'm going to do something different Mm -hmm. uh this article steel vanderhart and nijan hughes um they kind of go along with more modern psychoanalytic theory which actually says okay freud had some things that um he was limited in in that outlook and actually dependence and this is like what they say dependence is a necessary therapeutic dynamic yes for the process of healing and so i just wanted to kind of pause because this is how they start the the article is how uncomfortable that can make us as we Mm -hmm. hear actually you should be fostering some dependency some dependency Mm -hmm. in therapy Mm -hmm. and Maybe even the precursor question is, why does that make us so uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. Like, why does the idea of creating that dependency with our clients make us so nervous? Why do we immediately sort of want to rebel against it and say, no, 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 that's not what we're trying to do here. That's mm-hmm. yeah. antithetical to so our therapeutic one, goals. One idea that I had was just like free association mm-hmm. with the okay. word. Okay. Uh, you need to foster dependence between you and your clients. Oh, no, I shouldn't do that. Why? Well, because they shouldn't need me like that. Mm. Caleb? I have to get skin in the game. And that, that as a therapist, I lose my, uh, I lose an element of control. Yeah, the distance. Yeah. Oh. Because I become a part of this process. Am I supposed to be a part of this process? Yeah. But it's not about me. I'm yeah. not. I'm not supposed yeah. to share too much about myself. Right. They're this is about to, them. That's mm-hmm. right. I, and if I make it about me, then 
I'm self-disclosing too much. Mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. being boundaried and professional. Which I'm contaminating the process. That's an interesting like flow of thought yeah. just in that free association. And now I'm going to do what I just riffed on, which is interpret <laughs> the free association. <laughs> Freudian. Yeah. No, Freud did have some good he points. Oh, some, just he saying, was, like, there's a reason yeah. why he's the granddaddy of yeah, all of yeah, this. Yeah, just wildly yeah. misunderstood. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Father Freud. That's, That's right. right. <laughs> What's interesting about that is it goes from dependence to... Um, intense self-disclosure as a therapist. That that's what that means. Oh. Like why it requires and means. Why is there that implication there? Because that that is how we produce intimacy in relationships is through self-disclosure. Hmm. That's interesting. And true. Think about the way that you build intimacy in any other relationship. Here's one caveat that I would have. Okay. I'm not going to res- I'm not going to reveal anything about me, but your healing is dependent on me. And what I lead you through. Well, so now would you like me to free associate as the client yes. in that experience? Yes. Why in the world should I trust you if I know nothing about you? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this all is a of very this, interesting process. That's I know. Happening. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> I know. It's the to me. I think it's what's going on underneath the surface when we start using right. this language of dependency. Right. And it's important for us to have all of these. And there's a myriad of other free association possibilities mm-hmm. there. But that when I say the word dependency, mm-hmm. that kind of evokes a visceral reaction. Do you know what else it evokes? Addiction, which mm-hmm. we're real concerned about being addicted to anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Addiction is always a bad thing. I don't want to be dependent on it. Right, right. Which means addicted to it, which means I can't live without it, which means I'm weak and failing as a human being. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and Melissa, you mentioned even before the podcast of the cultural shame around how we feel about needing others. And mm-hmm. yeah. there's a, they talk about it in the article, there's a, a gender difference in there that is, too. Very much so. Where the, fem- the female, females are socialized to be more okay with dependence because socially and as for safety reasons culturally they had to Mm -hmm. and still have to to Mm -hmm. some degree and then males it's the complete opposite there's like the shunning of dependence because you can't prove yourself i'm about to say something that will feel uncomfy but it's the phrase don't be a mama's boy which is the extrapolation of don't be dependent don't be needy don't be weak don't depend on another be able to stand on your own two feet like that is what our culture is mm-hmm. based on and so inviting somebody into a therapeutic relationship where there's an element of recreating that uh, dynamic of mother and child we get really concerned about that yeah could you maybe speak to your experience as a female therapist of yeah. mm-hmm. engaging in what i would imagine is a dissonance between how you're taught to be a therapist which is very cognitive and interpretive mm-hmm. uh, lacking the deep emotional mm-hmm. intimacy and connection and also yeah. your genuine femininity that mm-hmm. comes out as a sort of well no i'm going to care for my clients i'm mm-hmm. going to so what's that experience and development been very like? confusing so i think and i you know i talk to a lot of other therapists all day long and for female therapists it's very normal that when we don't know what to do we often default to our natural nurturing instincts yeah. because they're always there for us. If, if that is a, a part of the way that we were built, um, it isn't you know, universally true for every woman that that nurture instinct is really 
present in us, but it is for a lot. Mm. And it certainly is in a lot of male therapists too. Mm. But that nurture instinct is something that is so intuitive that when the, the cognitive fails, when I don't know what to say, when I don't know how to make sense in a cognitive way um, of what's happening with my client, it feels like all I have to fall back on is that nurture instinct. And on one hand, I'm so glad that it's there to fall back on, but there's also this feeling of, is that okay? Is that enough? Mm. You know, me offering this this nurturing experience to my client, not only is that enough, but is that all right for me to be doing? And what the, I think one of the biggest challenges is that the natural expression of mother nurture is physical. It's body to body and it's, you know, voice to body and right brain to right, right brain. brain to right brain. And so much of our uh, therapeutic culture is encouraging us to be left brain therapists mm-hmm. and scaring the bejesus out of us of ever moving into <clears throat> a more nurturing quality using things like touch and um, you know, more mother-like encounters with our clients. Mm-hmm. You know, even even the conversation of, can I hug my client? Yeah. Like, is that okay? You know, if they text me a heart emoji, can I send them a heart emoji back? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like conversations like that. And a lot of you are thinking, oh, yeah, well, I do that all the time. That's fine. And others of you are thinking, dear God, I would never do yeah. that. Did she just say that? Did, did she just say hug your client? Of course not. I'm turning not. this podcast off. Yeah. And I, I think that that is a big part of the conversation is that we are not settled about this issue as a profession because well, as, a culture. as a culture, but certainly not as a profession because we don't. Um, we don't have a cognitive substitute for what nurture and care for our clients can produce. And I think that this conversation around dependency is a continuation of that conversation of what do we do about this issue? Because our clients have these needs. Yeah. So let's, I love that that's where that's going to go. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> let's talk about the needs. Yeah. Um, because I think underlying this entire idea of dependency is, are neurobiological realities mm-hmm. um, and they call them psychobiological mm-hmm. emotional realities that's mm-hmm. the language that the that the authors of the of the text we're reviewing talk about and so i kind of want to get a little bit into that and they start the article by a citation from bolby who mm-hmm. if you know anything about attachment theory you've heard that name john mm-hmm. bolby john bolby yeah. um because the thing with the little monkeys no yeah i did St- Strange situation. Oh, yeah. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, the monkeys was... Um... Who was the monkeys? Oh, yeah. dang Little it. monkeys in there. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> we can go down NCE there. My NCE callback. I know. Everybody <laughs> that's listening knows exactly who we're talking about. We yes. can't... Man. Dang oh, it. Yeah. Okay, okay. Gonna have keep, to look that yeah, up. Yeah, keep talking. We're going to um, go down that route. No, trail. yeah. Strange situation with an infant and their that's mother right. and studied the ways that um, these um, patterns kind of unfolded. So... With attachment, um, it's much more than just a behavior. Attachment is getting at the need of an infant to learn who they are and who an other is uh, through their relationship with their primary caregiver. And that's not dependent necessarily on mother or father or whatever, but whoever is taking the role of meeting the needs. And that's something that this article even gets into. Did you find it, Mel? It's Harlow. Harlow's monkeys. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. 
evidence-based therapist and we can't even I know I know the importance of maternal contact oh it's like so right up this alley yeah anyway shout out to Harlow yeah we're human though (laughs) so we forget things um so the (laughs) Caleb said no never (laughs) you knew it was Harlow the whole time (laughs) oh wow thank you I'm gonna turn down your microphone so (laughs) all right so uh the need for attachment is sort of an underlying assumption um as a biological imperative meaning we can't uh, continue as a species without attachment to primary caregivers mm-hmm. when we're so codependent as infants on their delivery of uh, the resources that we're in need of. Um, so in that is kind of the link between attachment and dependency. Does it make sense if we, mm-hmm. if we go well, yeah. there? Yeah. Okay. Um, so attachment and dependency are, are two kind of different things. The language that this article uses is that dependency is a manifestation of attachment behavior. Uh, So they make the distinction between attachment and dependency to say that um, an attachment, and I might need, I might need help here. Yeah. I've got got some language. Because I don't want to muddy it too much. Yeah, no, I've got some language. Yeah, please, if you found it. Yeah. yeah. So dependency is a manifestation of attachment that includes a wide ranging set of conscious and unconscious behavioral strategies. And that's uh, citing Bornstein, 95, Mm -hmm. 98 and related affects and cognitions. The purpose of dependency, as opposed to attachment in general, is specifically to procure caretaking, i.e. needed direct support and guidance from an attachment figure. Yeah. Yeah. So right there, the dependency is more so about about securing, or they use the word procuring, that uh, the access to the resources and the delivery of those resources yeah. that are needs, not mm-hmm. wants or, or, or desires or wishes, which is the language they use later, but that it's a need in that your life cannot continue unless you have this. Yeah. So, and there's some language that, you know, in, in our practice, um, the way that we speak about this, and this comes from a couple of other theories, is this is a strategy. Yeah. Dependency is a strategy that the human nervous system utilizes to get attachment needs met. Yes. So a strategy is anything that our nervous system has figured out how to do to move into our environment Mm -hmm. and get a need met. So dependency is a strategy that our nervous system is using to get that attachment need met. Yeah. And there's lots of kind of flavors and variations on how this dependency can manifest behaviorally, which we're going to talk about in just a minute. Mm -hmm. But I think whenever we're talking about dependency, we want to be thinking about it as this is a strategy that our body is using to try to get that attachment need met. And they outline two of the broad categories, mm-hmm. which is an active and a passive. Well, so before we go there, I want to further differentiate attachment um, because dependency still plays a role in all of these versions of attachment mm-hmm. um, styles, which the attachment style is from a secure, insecure place. Right. Uh, and the security is based on does the parent reliably um, and consistently show up in a way that meets the needs of the the child and if not that forces us to develop a more insecure strategy which uses different dependency behaviors um to uh foster or get the attention or get the 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 focus of the attachment figure so dependency can function in both there's secure dependency and insecure dependency but yeah 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 because there are going to be life experiences that we all encounter that are Required dependency, whether you're yes. an insecure or a secure attachment. Right. So I don't want people fostered a secure attachment. Doesn't mean that you have 
everything you need for all of life. No, that you'll never be dependent yeah. again. Right. Yeah. Which is almost a westernized myth. Yeah. That and that's once I, you've gotten to like an autonomous place, yes. maybe young adulthood or or just adulthood, mm-hmm. then you've gone beyond the need for some dependence. Yeah, and that's where I think and this is a shout out to our Crittenden episode, which I think is our most shouted out episode yet. Yeah. Like I our mean... callback episode, which <laughs> yeah. is amazing. It's such a good one. It's so good. But um, it's early. I think it's episode one, technically. That's the first one that we did. Anyway, um, in that article, she talks about um, the difference between, you know, why American attachment theory is mm-hmm. is kind of diluted in that it focuses on um, security when that's not even the point, Mm -hmm. the point is safety Mm -hmm. and safety is something that dependency can be used to procure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the procuring of that has two different ways that it manifests Mm -hmm. in whatever sort of dependency a person has. Right. And that is the active and the passive, um, which also has slight callbacks to the Crittenden episode. Yes. So the more active uh, dependency, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Bridget? Well, so the the active dependency is um, m- more in line with the secure um, attachment, wherein the needs are expressed and actively sought after through that dependency. Whereas in an insecure situation, you're going to see more of those passive uh, dependency in some instances. What, but go ahead. Well, and you also have active in the more preoccupied. Yes. So yeah. you can almost think of like the state or the energy level as relating to whether it's passive or active. Yes. If you're active, you are in a sort of sympathetic activation that is seeking and more expressive and mm-hmm. energized. Mm-hmm. Whereas the passive, she uses the term counterphobic, which is almost the dismission, uh, dismissiveness of mm-hmm. this sort of need. And so you act like I don't have this need. I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't have this, and need therefore from, I don't need. And you. I don't need yeah. to be well, dependent so on someone. I don't know how far we want to run down this, but you're you're using language and alluding to a different theory. So I at least want to kind of highlight that. Mm-hmm. Which, if you guys caught the language um, of polyvagal theory and what mm-hmm. Caleb was just saying, um, all of us are really familiar with polyvagal theory, and we use it a lot in our practice. And so, if you don't know about PVT. We have other episodes all about that, but Stephen Porges and Deb Dana are the ones that yes. do all of that. So Just give it a Google. Yeah, go look mm-hmm. at them. But I do think that there is a lot of connection between how the nervous system is being activated in those different states. And a ha- sympathetic activation is that more active um, version of dependency where I'm moving towards in a more aggressive way versus that passive has that more dorsal shut down flavor to it of I am submitting to and surrendering. And it has, you know, people are kind of familiar with that language of fight, flight, and fawn. We recently mm-hmm. added the fawn. Mm-hmm. When I was reading this, that passive version of dependency feels a lot like that fawn response Mm. of I'm just going to like melt into a puddle of goo and appease you Mm. so that I can maybe passively get my attachment needs met. Which is, I love the idea of like a counterphobic Mm -hmm. stance. Being the fight. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah, but it is still dependency. Yes. Like as just a fellow dismissive attachment. (laughs) It's a little self-disclosure here. Speak it. Um, Like I get what I need through becoming what other people expect 
and the dismissiveness of my own self. Oh, that's so good, Caleb. Yeah. So then, like, I'm still incredibly dependent upon others. Mm. So I want you to deny it. That's right. That's right. So speak to and just you know brutal self honesty. Don't worry, I'll join you there. I'm already there. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I'm I'm the preoccupied version. So I'll speak to that in a minute. But but for my dismissives at the table. How, Thanks for how, calling me out. I'll just go ahead and self-identify. <laughs> also, super dismissive. I think we dismissive went there on the Crittenden episode. You did. We yeah, did. we, we talked about true. that. So we're That's not true. totally outing ourselves yeah, for the first Very dismissive. Time. Hello. So, so could you wrap really practical language around how does a dismissive attachment behavior pattern still get your attachment needs met in a roundabout way? Because it does. Yeah. And I'm comfortable camping out here. I think this is a really practical application of the it article. Is. It is. Because this this is how it shows up with our clients. And this is yeah. also where we as therapists need to be self-aware yeah. with our own attachment patterns and the way they show up in that space with our clients. Because our attachment styles are constantly interacting with our clients. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'll tell you how it shows up in the therapeutic dyad. Do it. Yes, with a dismissive. Because I've yeah. been in therapy. I've yeah. noticed <laughs> uh, as the client... Where, you as the client. Yeah, yeah. Where I have this tendency and my wish, which we'll get into needs and wishes a little bit more. I think we need to yeah. keep mm-hmm. ramping that up. But my wish is for the therapist to just tell me what to do yeah. so that mm-hmm. I could do it. So then they're going to celebrate me, a pseudo me. Oh, okay. Yeah, the performance and, you. Yeah. Yeah, and I get this sort of validation of safety and security as a Perform- uniform performed me yes that i have chopped up so many times and disintegrated because if i am me then there's some sort of like um disturbance mm-hmm. a conflict with caregivers whatever mm-hmm. and so then i've learned to okay i've got to dismiss those so then my passivity comes and sort of like well, I don't know what to talk about today. Like, what do you think we should talk about? Yeah. And then they'll well, tell me. Fun. And then I can I can oh, be like, oh, we're going to go there. I can tell you okay. a lot about that stuff. Yeah. But yeah. I'm dis, I'm disintegrated from my body most right. of the time. Right. So then I'm just saying a lot of things that get their brain going. Mm-hmm. And then they'll say things. And then I can have a very productive cognitive conversation but never engage in therapy. While hiding as, the whole yeah. time. Hiding in plain yeah. sight. And and that comes out as the wish. We are yeah. we are fulfilling a validation need mm. without ever expressing engaging it my directly. body. Yeah. Expressing mm. it directly. Or even I don't allow myself to own Acknowledge it. that I need someone to tell me right. that I So am your okay. your need for dependency, right? Your need for that experience with another human is being met in a roundabout way, meaning you can't integrate that experience because it's not actually happening in scare quotes. It's not happening in real life and being articulated it's explicitly. It's unsymbolized is what... Right, so yeah. that therapy exacerbates your attachment malfunction. Which yes. is the Crittenden... again. Yeah, yes. the augmentation yes. of my strategy. Yes. Yeah, which when is, you get a therapist that will collude with you yes. and just say, oh, okay, I'll take the driver's seat, there you go. They're mm-hmm. further augmenting your attachment disturbance by promoting this hiding in plain sight that you're yeah. doing. Yep. And I love, yeah. Mel, when you use that language because it is true to Bowlby's original findings in the experiment. The dismissively oriented children could not directly even face their mother yeah, figure or their primary attachment. Yeah. yeah. They, they contented themselves with playing uh, with the toys quietly. 
and over time they would move closer to the mother but with their back like they shimmied backwards hoping that she wouldn't notice that they were reaching out so they're still attachment. seeking proximity yes mm-hmm. seeking that security yeah which safety. is what attachment is yeah. and that's what yeah. they talked about that's what the authors of this article talked about it's still seeking proximity but it's not directly addressing any needs mm-hmm. and it's not directly asking for Mm-hmm. the other to meet those mm-hmm. needs so that would passive be passive dependency that's right that's an insecure attachment style with an expression of passive dependency is that's beautiful specificity yeah mm-hmm. great job yeah you're welcome yeah so preoccupied <laughs> person yeah, I'm yeah. yeah you don't get oh. to get out of this <laughs> what, we what just... about us <laughs> oh here it is <laughs> i mean mysteriously what about us well i'm kind of wondering how you know, like reading the article and then also just kind of thinking back to your experiences, whether in therapy or just relationships, Mm. how this sort of, how does your system engage with the necessity that we're all dependent to some degree? Uh, Aggression. (laughs) (laughs) In lots of various forms. Basically, basically the preoccupied (laughs) strategy is to analyze the other person and say, hello, you are a resource for my attachment desire. What is the best, fastest way that I can get you to give me what I want? I mean, I'll do anything. Do you want me to entertain you? I can do that. Um, do I need to fight you for it? I'll fight you for it. Mm-hmm. Right? I'll, I'll pull it out of you even though you don't want to give it to me. I'll seduce you for it. That's always an option. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll let, what, whatever you want. Yeah. Let me just tell me and I'll do it. Yeah. But it's going to be aggressive. Yeah. It's going to be in your face. And all the while <laughs> uh, coupled with this frantic. Oh, um, hysterical. Like internal panic, panic of... If I if I don't get this person to meet this attachment need, there is a gaping hole in my chest that is going to eat me alive. That the mm-hmm. preoccupied attachment style, we as opposed to the dismissive, is we are in constant not conscious awareness, but felt awareness, like a, a lived felt awareness of the uh, craving for the unmet attachment need Mm -hmm. the amount that we crave it when when you talk to someone with a really pronounced attachment style um or at least parts of self dissociated parts of self that fully embody that attachment wish then we'll get to that um that's covering up that deep deep need of the child that did not get their attachment needs met there is always this sort of panic and hysterical nature to it where as the therapist it feels like they're trying to eat you And I will tell you from the client perspective, because I have functioned in both roles in this capacity, is that it feels like there's this part of me that's trying to eat the other person. I really wish I would stop trying to lunch on all of the people I care about, but I can't stop myself. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try to eat you because I'm just that damn hungry, right? And that, that feeling of constant craving is so loud in your ears all the time that you don't even know that there's another way of relating. And the... I think what we do as therapists that accidentally perpetuates this is, number one, the biggest thing that we do is we label the preoccupied aggressive manifestation as attention-seeking behavior, as inappropriate, as too much. There's so many yeah. too much women and in the world. The yeah. authors use insecure dependency to yes. talk about those things. Yeah. 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 And and the um, instead of the... Uh, not passive, but active. the aggressive. Yeah, the active version. Mm-hmm. I want to say aggressive because that's what it feels that's like. How it feels. She calls it, uh, yeah, they call it active. And I think there's different flavors to the active version, but there is this flavor for those of us that have, you know, a lot of 
chronic severe trauma in our history where the need for finding safety in the other is so intense for us all the time that we're like compelled by it. And if that's showing up in the therapy room, at least in my experience, it's all that you can attend to because it is so huge. It's like not even the pink elephant. It is the herd of polka dot rainbow elephants. It is all that you can pay attention to. Yeah. It will yeah. demand your attention. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as a therapist, you know, if you want to know how your client is engaging you and what sort of dependence they uh, lean towards is if they're passive, they're probably going to be pulling they're always going to be pulling more of you into the inner subjective space. Yeah. And you're going so to feel the this like, so how was your day? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Or just the what silence yes. and be like, what do you want to talk about? Uh-huh. I, I have nothing else. Yeah. It's like, you just, Oh, you know me. Yeah. yeah like I, I work in a Actually, residential facility good. and like, I've got guys who will, who are definitely more passive who will have like seven like physical interventions and they'll be getting in fights and stuff. They'll come into my office and just talk like, yeah, those things happened. So, like, what else do we have to talk about? I got nothing. And it's like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> oh, my God. You're really going to pull me in? Like, I'm going to have this to is totally jump in? Yeah. yeah. Or on the opposite end, as a therapist, if you feel like you can't invade the inner subjective mm. space. So you're kind of being pushed out by all of the... Um, the polka dotted rainbow elephants. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And all the <laughs> topics and the the ramped up and, like... If you're struggling to jump in, you may be dealing with a more active. Or if you're feeling like you're constantly being pulled. Yes. And like Mm -hmm. you're being tugged on to to do more, to be more, to provide more. Yeah. That's probably a passive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good articulation of something that's going to be sort of a very embodied, intuitive sensation that therapists Mm -hmm. have just when they're like sitting with clients and feeling what it feels like to be with them. And understanding what to do with that intuitive information is really helpful, yeah. right? Like, so when you're having that intuitive sense of what it feels like to sit with people, you can now file that information and say, oh, this is telling me something really useful about their attachment style. And then what is potentially going to be therapeutic for them? Yes. How yeah. do I provide a disconfirming experience to them? It's very different for a dismissive versus a preoccupied attachment and a passive versus uh, more active style of dependency. Yeah. And I love the way you're characterizing that because it assumes both that attachment and dependency are just biological processes. Everybody They're has not debatable. their version. That's right. Right. It just is what it yeah. is. And so to pathologize it mm-hmm. is what many have done where they talk about... To pathologize about, it is to pathologize the human organism. Which is what we do. To say that we are fundamentally flawed as an organism. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's the illness model right. of understanding uh, even just case conceptualization. Well, there's mm-hmm. something wrong with this person. And so when they try to be dependent on me, I'm, I know that that's just their... Right. And they should stop their that. Their trauma. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. They definitely mm-hmm. should stop that. But if we look at it from a, this is just a reality in mm-hmm. the human organism and try to understand its role, we can yes. then partner with it as a therapeutic... Uh, awareness mm-hmm. to then foster feelings of safety mm-hmm. and a willingness to change. Yeah. Yeah. And even the meeting of the need that is being expressed, either in the dismissive passive, passive. style or in that active and preoccupied style, meeting that need with neither of the strategies, but in a very uh, direct and open way is the disconfirming experience. Right. So, and, and I'm you curious. You as a therapist. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so I think 
you know, speaking to from your guys' perspective as somebody that experiences the dismissive version, what is a disconfirming experience for you? Oh, dude. So <laughs> you got oh, one man. there, Bridger? Yeah. <laughs> I'm currently... his, his body <laughs> yeah, I know. got one. And it his looked brain like somebody just to... uh, punched him. <laughs> yeah, because it's honestly it's very upsetting. Oh, um, because not, not initially comforting. Absolutely not. And I don't know. I'm just speaking for me. Yeah, because there's know. probably different flavors. Yeah. Yes, because I, I just cry. I just cry. I just cry. Yeah, oh, I mean, honestly, honestly, yeah. because it one it shows that my strategy failed. Oh, in that moment for me. Yeah, that my my passive dependence uh, was acknowledged and then said, you don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. You can just ask. Mm-hmm. Or I'm just going to tell you what you need. And they're right. Mm. It's like, oh, dang it. Yeah. They Which, know. They know. They know. The game's they up. Yeah. yeah. And it's very, like I said, it's it's upsetting. Mm. Um, because then that evokes the, the, I call it the big box of proof with my clients mm. and me of why I needed to develop this passive strategy mm. anyway. Because if I ask for it, that's when mm-hmm. I'm going to get abused. Mm-hmm. That's when I'm going to be hurt. Rejected. Yes. Yeah. Or told why you shouldn't need what you exactly. need. Why or shown, exactly. Yeah. And shown also that if you depend on other people, they will fail you. Mm. Just so you know. Mm-hmm. Why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. And for that's mine uh, for me. And that goes back to my relationship with my mom. And uh, my dad also, mm-hmm. but that yeah, because you literally just channeled somebody and told us something you were told. Oh, <laughs> like yeah. that's not your voice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's my voice to me when my mom left. Anyway, uh, anyway, uh, that's a yeah. different story. <laughs> yeah, it's the same one actually. But no. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, for me, when I'm seen in that way, and it's in a and it's in a very nurturing intention, mm-hmm. that it's not. I see your need, and now I'm going to um, criticize you for having it. But it's in right. a way of. I see this and I'm going to speak it and then help you realize that I can partner with you in meeting mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. It is disarming, uh, upsetting <laughs> at the same time. And for me, that disconfirming experience when they show up in a really honest and uh, well-intentioned way yeah. to help me. Yeah. yeah. I think um, that brings up like the perfect transition for understanding needs and wishes and oh, how yeah. they Let's develop get into it. but wait i want your version of oh, that yeah. story oh dude i'm sorry oh, the and then crying. We need, hold your hand and, yeah You're and then crying. we need the preoccupied I, I version yeah. examples are everything oh, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, well what i was yeah so we'll reference this more next time but okay she talks about the apparently normal parts and then the emotional parts and the apparently normal parts are the ones that try to avoid the emotional parts and, mm. and allowing those to come in yeah and I think my main emotional part that has been disintegrated or dissociated has been sadness. Oh my gosh. She, there's a few times. The reason why we keep saying she, you guys, is because Kathy Steele, who is a woman, is, was the, first the, author. is the first author and the primary author. So yeah. when we say she, that's what we're meaning. It's really they, but it yeah, doesn't it is, matter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, they, she. Um, they reference the idea that often the thing that is being dissociated away and avoided as grief of the unmet attachment need exactly right and when we stay in that dismissive orientation we're disallowing the grief from emerging and so you know as a therapeutic practice for for a presentation like yours caleb when that grief that sadness that you're speaking about emerges a therapeutic interaction in that moment would be to fully give permission to the grief of 
you needed this and you didn't get it. And that made you sad when you were little and you're still sad about it. And what would it mean to make space for that sadness to just be really present with us because now it's safe enough to actually feel it. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my gosh, that would be a session. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I think my apparently normal part knows that it needs the thing, mm-hmm. but doesn't feel the strength to say it. Yeah. And so yes. then when And when it's someone, too sad when they say no. Yeah, when someone calls out the part, which is also a callback to last week, mm-hmm. um, uh, the sad part of me, and yeah. like says, like, wow, that must have been sad. Mm-hmm. And I've been talking about it in an apparently normal way, which is totally mm-hmm. without disintegrated. Experience, disintegrated yeah. from my yeah. body. Yeah. And someone says, wow, that must have been really sad. My body just yeah. goes, oh, heck yeah, someone saw. Mm-hmm. And then it'll just like like a light Feel. switch like i have been in sessions where i've just been gone and then the therapist says something and i'm just like boom. Yeah. Oh, yeah also you're flushing right now which is i know because i'm beautiful... getting emotion just i know, thinking about I know. It. well i did the thing where i like say what a therapist would say to you i apologize about that so so one of the one of the things that we'll talk about more next time is that in this work it has a lot to do with brain circuitry like the neuroscience mm-hmm. it has of what's going everything on. to everything do with to it do. that comes from it that's right and so you know what caleb is talking about is a specific circuit in our brain stem that holds grief mm-hmm. i mean it's there's a specific one and all mammals have it and so by having this conversation and specifically calling out that grief neurobiologically we are activating sending electricity through that circuit i want to make one caveat yes we are inviting the activation of and because Mm -hmm. in this space you feel safe enough yes Yes. because in any other in 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 any other setting you could have the response that says no or i'll talk about a super cognitive way yeah yeah because your body analyzes the situation says it's not safe to activate that circuit in this environment yeah Mm -hmm. but if there is enough safety then the circuit will be activated and one of the most practical things as a therapist is that when a circuit is activated and the affect state is being felt in that moment, it is an opportunity for it to be expressed and released Yes, and therefore healed. And because, integrated. Yeah, yeah healed yeah. and integrated. Because in that moment, your body is showing you the truth about why you have felt the way that you felt, which means that now I can put a truer story to it so that I don't have to rely on that dismissive strategy anymore. I yeah. can integrate the truth of my story in a new way. Yeah, it's it's Fraser's in, uh, fusion process. Mm-hmm. Yes. Of, oh, that's yeah, a beautiful. It's, it's a very neurobiological way of talking about fusion in which yes, you're activating and inviting systems to fire together and then wire together. Well, Dan then, Siegel shout out. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. A Hebb's axiom. That's right. Ooh. Um, yes. Caleb. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, everybody stay grounded. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'm going to over sorry. here. <laughs> when we get together, it's just a problem sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah, but that, okay. yeah, that's a very neurobiological way of talking about you're fusing these parts. You're allowing my, my, I'm allowing my grief to be met with someone else's care circuit. And what happens is that then activates my own self-compassionate care mm-hmm. circuit to me. Yes. And then now my grief part feels mm-hmm. cared for. And now it's got a totally different yeah. associative network in the adaptive. I love your process, but we cannot. Okay, but keep I'm going. I'm going to bring it back around to the article. We ready for this? What you just described is what we mean by healthy dependency. Yes. So absolutely. what what you just described is your nervous system having a need, an attachment need, for someone to see and feel your grief and sadness, and in turn 
their activation state is one of nurture and care and coming towards to offer what you really needed. And in that moment, there is a felt sense of dependency. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This part of me needs that part of you. And I am going to enter into this lived experience, this embodied moment of being in a state of dependency with you, not so that I can need you for the rest of my life, but so that this part of me can be met as I am activated in that state, as I am feeling my grief, you are feeling nurture care. And that is exactly what should have happened for you early in life over and over again that didn't happen. And so in that therapeutic context, we're creating a moment of dependency that is incredibly therapeutic, not for the purpose of you forever being dependent on the therapist, but for the purpose of healing and integrating uh, what was traumatic and disintegrating previously. Yeah, Yeah. and they talk about how secure uh, dependency is based on needs Mm -hmm. and the admittance of those needs, whereas insecure dependency is based out of wishfulness, Mm -hmm. which is when needs go chronically unmet and so the the way the system then develops by disintegrating the parts of the system that are not being met, yeah, they have this sort of wishfulness mm. that says, Man, "I wish." I, yeah. So a dismissive wishfulness is, yeah. "You just give me like the, just tell me what I need to think." Or you read my mind without me ever having to articulate yeah, anything. Yeah, you bring everything <laughs> in, and uh-huh. I won't have to. That's right. I won't have to put my Admit skin in the game anyway. Yeah. In, in yes. any yeah. I yeah. show zero vulnerability, and somehow I still get my needs met. <laughs> Yeah. Like but, you have to figure out how to penetrate my impenetrable armor. Good yeah, luck with yeah. that. And for me, the wishfulness is always there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm confident in my ability to do it by myself. Right. I don't need anybody. Right. Is my yeah. is like the internal like the apparently normal part for right. me is mm-hmm. that I don't need anybody. I can do it all myself. And then here comes invading all of these emotional mm-hmm. parts that say, You cannot do it by yourself. And that is so what intolerable that yeah. I just like get locked up into this okay, well froze. Let's just try to go through the motions here. Yeah. yeah. Or or shimmy with my back to the person, maybe get a little exactly. bit of the need met kind of. Yep. But or or maybe I have to pay. Yeah. Maybe I have to like give you something oh, yeah. before I can ask for that. Yeah. And here we are yeah. in codependence, which yes. is, which anyway. is a whole yeah. other yeah. conversation. So now I want to hear about preoccupied attachment. What was your, the question about preoccupied? I think the dis- you asked oh, the disconfirmed. Oh, that's experience. right. Yeah. How how does a preoccupied version get disconfirmed? At you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh yeah, so this, it feels real chaotic to all people involved. And so, you know, this is a lot of self-disclosure, but Bridger is one of my people that hangs in there with me when I have my <laughs> preoccupied spin-outs into uh, everything is not okay and the world is ending. Um, Maybe I'll die. <laughs> hey, I don't get that dramatic. No, but it's 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 reminiscent of that. It is. Yeah. There's a lot of dramatics about mm-hmm. it, but... But for all of my fellow preoccupieds out there, I say that in jest, but in the moment, it is the most real real thing that has ever been real. It is reality. Yeah. And uh, it is not, we want to be really clear, we do not see this behavior as attention-seeking in the way that we traditionally mean that in our field. Um, I don't really even believe in that. Well, neither do I, but it is a phrase that gets bantered about a lot. Yeah, sorry. It's okay. (laughs) They're just doing it for attention. Well, no crap. Like, of course they are. Yeah. Um, anyway, so the the preoccupied disconfirming experience for me that has been the most profound, and I've experienced it with more than one person, including you, Bridger, is I do my preoccupied thing, which is where I 
this is so unflattering, but I guess I'm being honest. I do a lot of accusation, mm-hmm. right? Of here's all the reasons why I can tell that you don't care about me. Yep. That, you know, and I like often it's in text form, which is great and really mature. Uh, <laughs> but often these spin outs happen when we're alone yep. because that's when the preoccupied attachment fears really get awoken um, because our isolation circuit, speaking of those circuits, like I was mentioning, that isolation and separation circuit is one that gets triggered a lot in the preoccupied style. Um, and so in that moment, we start looking for all of the proof that we can of why the people in our life don't actually care about us. Yeah. And, you know, if you're looking real hard, it's actually pretty easy to find. And so then we move into this phase of, and I'm going to accuse you of not caring. Because how dare me. you? Yeah. Um, and instead of, instead of the rational, calm, uh, secure version being, hey, I'm feeling the need for some connection for some reason I'm feeling kind of lonely and distant from you and I just need a moment of connection wouldn't it be great if I could just remember yeah. to say that just first? some eye contact yeah, no That's yeah all. I just need to connect and I'm getting better at that you know I feel like there's some there's progress air high five yeah just, thank you psh, yeah. Um, but for for most of us that struggled with preoccupied attachment we do this kind of like emotional spin out thing and then we have our own particular version of reaching out to whoever the identified person is it could be a friend. It could be a romantic partner. We really don't care. It's not necessarily, um, uh, yeah, we're not picky about the who and what kind of relationship necessarily. So we reach out to the person. We tell them all the reasons why they don't care. What we meant to say is, I'm lonely. Can you tell me that you care about me? But what we said instead was, you're a terrible person because you don't care about me. And here's mm-hmm. the reasons why I know you don't. Um, and then they're stuck in this double bind of, whoa, so being attacked. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And now I'm feeling defensive and now I've got more evidence. See, you don't care because you immediately went on the defensive. If you're thinking this sounds really borderline-y, yeah, it has some flavors of that. (laughs) Yeah. I'm trying to write. Yeah. Okay. We're working on it. Um, which, well, I, no, (laughs) I, I love that you say that. Well, I don't love borderline. It's it's okay. The, it illuminates the idea of a wish. Yeah. The, the, the preoccupied sort of active dependency wishes that everyone would be exactly what they imagined would tell them that they yeah. are not separate, that yes. they have every need met. Yeah. And, and at least for me, I think there's some uniquenesses obviously because every human is different, but there is also this flavor. Those of us that develop this as a strategy, there was a lot of chaos early in life usually. And, we also felt a lot of internal chaos and there was this feeling of, Oh my gosh, I feel so much like you guys, it's super intense in here. Will somebody please tell me what to do with all of this feeling? And we move into our environment with our big feelings because we're little. Remember, this is happening three, four, five, six, seven. We got these big overwhelming feelings and we move into our environment and show our people our feelings and say, what do I do with this? And what we get back is, uh, I don't know. Good luck with that. Mm-hmm. Or you should probably not feel that yeah, way. Don't, don't feel, don't that, feel much. that way. Like or, or, it's incongruent. Yeah, and, or... and also calm down. Yeah. Like this is a lot. You should calm down. Yeah. Or, you know, my particular favorite is why don't you go to your room and be by yourself? And and then we'll talk. Time. We'll talk when you calm down, right? Yeah. And the message over and over is what's happening internally, nobody is ever gonna want to join you in that space. And now, in that moment, when a kid first gets that message, we could go dismissive with that and just say, well, okay, then I guess I'm never going to need it. The preoccupied says, oh, no, I got to hunt you down and make you give it to me. 
because you're never going to give it to me willingly. So I'm going to have to make you give it to me. Yeah. And I'm going to develop a myriad of strategies yeah. to make people give me what I need. And, and maybe, that's why it comes across as aggressive. Yeah. And maybe it'll be from the place of meeting their needs first. Sure. And just saying, here, look, keep Absolutely. me around. I've got, I know you. Yes. I'm yes. cool with you. I yeah. got all your needs uh, understood and met. Yeah. Can you do, can you do me now? Yeah. My turn. Can you think about my me? turn? Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so the disconfirming experience, I never, I just described what it looks like when we need a disconfirming experience. A disconfirming experience in that moment is whomever I am aggressing towards, <laughs> for lack of a better phrase, whoever I am trying to extract that need from um, and have that that wish desire of, you know, join me in my chaos, yeah. chaos, right? Join me in everything that I feel inside and understand me so thoroughly that it calms my fear that I am completely alone in the chaos of myself. Yeah. And the authors call that intense dependency. Yes. And our version, Caleb, you and I, intense independence. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. counterphobic. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the dismissive version. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So the, the disconfirming experience for somebody like myself and anybody that has that style is we're doing that sort of spin out thing and revealing the chaos with the aggression of come and meet me here take fix this for me right yeah. i'm gonna rip open my chest and show you my chaos and now you need to clean up my mess right mm. and you can imagine how that feels as a therapist not great um but the disconfirming experience is when the person sits often silently or if it's in a texting situation there's no reply <laughs> for a while and we sit in the chaos and immediately our brain is going to go into all of the explanations of why this is confirming my worst fear. See, they fear. rejected you. See? And then we go on the double down. Abandonment. And you, and yes, all of those red flags go off. And in that moment, the person shows up again and says, nope, still here. I am, I am witnessing you and your pain. Mm -hmm. And I'm still here. I'm not going to solve it for you. Oof. Not, not, uh, you can't be the wish. Yeah. I won't fulfill your fantasy yes but i will be present with you how's that that's the disconfirming yeah. experience yeah. for and, the preoccupied and that's perfect because it illuminates something that we haven't touched on but the potential for a, a therapist to be listening to this and say okay well here go all of my client boundaries right. text me anytime call me anytime yeah. let's have extra sessions yeah, whenever no, longer want. sessions yeah listen to what i said the disconfirming experience is the silence with the follow-up of presence mm -hmm. yes is the boundary the no i'm i'm holding my own here i'm not i know it's not in. about me yeah because yeah. i am not confused by your panic yeah. i'm not afraid of your panic the way that you are so i'm not going to join you in it i know what's happening here and you're okay and we're okay and yeah. i still care about you and that is like well i don't know how to process that so then i have to like make sense of that and i'm well, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm telling you the internal process of what uh, happens in that disconfirming yeah. moment. <laughs> They're wiping away the yeah. the vape, vaporosity mm -hmm. of the wishfulness. And yeah. Saying, yeah, they just got actually, projected a fantasy onto right. them. Yeah, there's right. the need. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Could we talk about the fact that you just really need a friend rather than the fact that you want a savior? Yeah, mm. I, I can be your friend. I can connect with you. Yeah, yeah. Also, I don't think you need a savior because I don't think you're busted and broken beyond repair. So, so I don't need to save you, but I can be with you. I can join you. That's right, and that's mm -hmm. a disconfirming experience Man. for a preoccupied. Yeah. yeah, and so at 
at the end of the day, when we talk about needs and wishes, um, one of the things that I think is most important is to decipher whether the patient's dependency represents a need mm-hmm. or does it represent some fantastical, um, also like a, a fragmented attempt yeah. to have a genuine need met that was in yeah. the past yeah. that never got met. Yeah, and I love the authors use the word futile yeah. attempt. Yeah. Yeah, and and this like futile attempt is and uh, this wishfulness is in an attempt to uh, avoid the painful grieving mm-hmm. of that previously yes. unmet need. Yes. And so in doing so, you have this sort of wishfulness that says, let's not go mm-hmm. there, but let's get my need met. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, actually, your need is to grieve that yes. and then get what yes. you never had. So to extrapolate on that, one thing that they don't say explicitly, but I think it is encompassed in that idea of the need to grieve is the need to, for, for the preoccupied, actually, I think this is in both versions, is the need to be um, rightfully angry about the unmet need, to actually have an experience of activating the rage of why could nobody show up for me the way that I needed when I was a kid. I was completely helpless when I was, you know, three, four, five years old. And I had the needs of every little kid, and yet nobody could figure out how to show up for me. There is understandable anger in that. And as a therapist, um, making room for the anger to be activated and Mm -hmm. felt and expressed and given so much permission, all of the things that are encompassed in the grief process are going to be encompassed in that. Yes. And, yeah. and this is a large overgeneralization, but I'd say probably in preoccupied, it's misdirected rage. Oh, yeah. And in dismissiveness, yeah. it is a disintegrated rage. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The preoccupied style, that's the attack, is I'm going to go after you because I'm actually really angry at you that you won't meet this need. Yeah. It's a tantrum. And that's yeah. a callback again to Crittenden. Maybe yeah. this is just going to be the staple. We should just rename this the Crittenden podcast. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it but was really foundational. It's it a really beautiful is. Article. But that yeah. is, to me, the explanation of this article in Crittenden's um, description of dismissive as omitted affect and distorted cognition Mm -hmm. and the preoccupied as distorted affect and omitted cognition Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that is oh yeah that's it that's really important yes and knowing that as the therapist being able to identify that means that we can create these disconfirming experiences in a really really fine-tuned way yes because we have to see this and this is the the authors go into this in depth we have to see those versions and those strategies of dependency Mm -hmm. um not as just wishes but as indicators of unmet needs in the past yes and then validate it's like that experience the wish is like the mirage hovering over the need like it's it's almost the same it's so similar but it's kind of like wonky and off just a little bit but if you look at it hard enough you can probably figure out what the real thing is yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so i want to kind of ground us as we end part one and go prepare to go to part two Mm -hmm. which is the natural progression of dependency across developmental lines yes which they sort of line out that in attachment there's this natural flow from dependency to interdependence to autonomous and independent. Mm-hmm. And that flow is one that um, I think we we will engage in the therapeutic realm. Yes. And what's interesting is we almost look to go 
well, we, we just don't want to touch dependence. Yeah. We, want, we don't want to foster that at all. As mm-hmm. therapists, we were trained not to. Yes. We want to go straight for interdependence where they, they just need me a little bit so that they can go out and fix, fix the things by themselves uh-huh. and they just have a touchstone once a week in yeah. me. Right. So that they won't need me at all. Yeah. yeah. So then I get them to autonomous, autonomous. and independent. So you're saying right now that autonomous is not the goal? I am saying that the way they talk about it is non-linearity. Yes, thank and you. That you it, throughout it's not your, one. That's yeah. the point. Yep, it is the process of engaging your ever-expanding environment and noticing when you are dependent, mm-hmm. when you are interdependent, and maybe you just need some co-regulation. Yeah. Or if you're you have the Feeling internalized mm-hmm. regulatory strategies of and you're good. previous relationships and yeah. you're good in the present moment. Yeah, it's not one, it, it's a both and all of the way. And the yeah. point is, and I'm going to borrow PVT language here, it's flexibility. Yes. Aware flexibility yeah. that we know where we are in time because of what and can then with awareness choose how we want to be. Mm-hmm. And if we can't, we have others that can help us choose what mm-hmm. needs to be. And this is such a huge cultural shift not oh, just man. a therapeutic culture but we're talking like big c culture that we all live in in the article they have this you know really short sentence that i think packs a huge punch which is they're talking about this um this preferred state of independence that we have culturally and they say the implication is that all traces of dependency should disappear in the healthy mature adult jeez it should just disappear and that that is exactly how we're trained you don't it need is, other people you don't need other people and that is almost a core value of our culture. As a dismissive, uh, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> As a preoccupied, that's hard. Yeah, impossible. <laughs> and it makes yeah. us feel like there is something deeply wrong with us. And if we look at the diagnoses that we pathologize the most, it is the preoccupied styles that have major struggles conforming with this idea of letting go of all dependency this is this is so inherent even in the most basic level of training for yeah. therapists at yeah. least in my experience we heard yeah. refer borderlines oh straight out the gate yeah, yeah. you get you a borderline get oh you know they're a borderline <laughs> they've got a personality disorder to work with yep they yeah. need to be referred mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and we do that with people with diagnoses of did because inherently we understand that there is going to be parts of their personality that require a very uh, dependent interaction from the therapist and that makes us nervous. Anytime we get into that zone with clients, we immediately have a fear reaction to it because something has happened to us culturally where we legitimately fear dependency on each other because we have failed each other so much (laughs) because we all have trauma around relying on other people. And I think rather than you know, projecting that onto our clients and saying, well, the answer is we should not ever be dependent, that we need to understand what's happened to us culturally and give a new understanding of what health actually is, which is that interdependence and dependency um, with boundaries and with an understanding of when it is therapeutic and when it is not. Yes, exactly. Yes. So next week, one of the things we'll talk about is uh, a sort of three-phase model of taking someone through those stages of dependence into interdependence and eventually into autonomy and independence Mm -hmm. and what that looks like and some challenges. And also we're going to touch on countertransference, which is a little bit of a hot topic. Is Mm. it a bad thing? I mean, it's a bad thing, right? Oh, 
Melissa, <laughs> Sorry. come, come to next week. In the flame. <laughs> Spoiler, no. No. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so one of the things that has become a little bit of a hallmark for this is takeaways from mm-hmm. the first half of the article. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's what uh, trauma does to our understanding of dependency and the way we form attachment styles and how that can be maneuvered through with various strategies and things like that. And, and that, again, it's a very normalizing experience to accept that dependency, interdependency, and autonomy are regulatory functions mm-hmm. that we move in and out mm-hmm. of. And sometimes we disintegrate and we deny that we have and others that we cling to exclusively out of hope that we won't be hurt again or that this will solve our problems. Mm-hmm. Um, so attachment and dependency are very uh, interrelated concepts for me um, and something that I work with my clients on understanding their needs and uh, when wishes are present. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For me, the, the highlight of the first half for me, yes. which is so illuminating, was the difference between fantastical wishes yeah. and needs. Biological, yeah, yeah psychobiological yeah. needs. And, and, and how often... Um, I am engaged in this process in which the client either wants me to stay out of the process, but somehow be perfect to them or come into the process and provide them every answer possible. And that sort of like pushing away or pulling into the inner subjective space. I love that. And how that is so based out of a wish Mm. and to go beyond that and to point that out to the, to the client and to let's nail down the need Mm -hmm. and let's Mm -hmm. grieve that. Yes. And then, And the unmet dynamics of that. And then now let's work on us and how we can foster even better interdependence in our relationship. That's right. That's where healing is. That's right. Yeah. So mine is kind of a continuation of that thought. Um, So they talk about, you know, the wish versus the need. And then they have this section where they talk about the elements of good therapy. Right. And so my note on that, which is just kind of a summary of what they said, is good therapy includes fulfillment of need and a gentle frustration of wishes. And Mm. that like, oh, man, that feels so practical. Can you say it one more time? Yes. Yes. So good therapy includes a fulfillment of need and a gentle frustration of of wishes that is a disconfirming experience and if you think about yeah like if 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 you think about how we describe the disconfirming experiences for each of the styles the need is met but there's also this like rumbling around feeling of uh my strategy didn't work like they're either they're on to me or they're not doing what i want them to do i'm not able to control them the way that i'm usually able to control a situation that wish of being in control of the other to extract my need or that uh, wish of I'm going to get what I need without ever having to really engage with the person. <laughs> Whatever the fantasy is, is frustrated in the therapy. But at the same time, the real need is met in a direct and authentic way. And in that moment, the the nervous system is invited to integrate that new experience in such a profound way of, hey, you don't actually need that strategy anymore. The fulfillment of your need is now available right here right now it is happening right now if Mm. you can recognize what it is and take it and to me that is just a really succinct and simple way of describing what we do in trauma therapy all day long every day um, and the dance that we do with clients between you know fulfilling the need and frustrating the wish fulfilling the need and frustrating the wish i feel like i do that dance all the time and i'm sure you guys do 